Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. You know, there are multiple ways that we are focused on helping you rise up in those three areas, in your life, in your love, and your leadership. Now, one is this podcast. Of course, we publish it twice a week. If you are not a subscriber already, please click subscribe on either Apple Podcast or the Google Podcast apps. Those tend to be the most popular ones, and they're loaded on your phone already. You got an Android? You got Google Podcast loaded. If you got an Apple phone, iPhone, you got an Apple Podcast app loaded. So click subscribe, review if you'd like. Now, my goal with the podcast is to provide you with inspiring interviews with primarily female experts, entrepreneurs, and examples of success. I had a friend at lunch just the other day go, what is it with a white guy, cisgendered, male, middle-aged dude trying to talk to women about all this good life stuff? I said, man, I don't know. For 25 years, all the work that I've done, it's been primarily women who have been attracted to my message. It's not because of my good looks. Okay, let's just say that. It's because, I don't know, I have a passion for people. I have a passion, and for whatever reason, my passion, my drive, my energy, my care for what's going on in the world tends to be uh, connecting with a female audience. And so that's why Inspiration Rising features so many awesome female experts, entrepreneurs, and examples of success. Now, besides the podcast, we also post inspiring content on social media and send out a weekly email with all kinds of great content as well. But the other primary way that we are seeking to help you rise up is through two online courses. Now, you've heard me talk about Me Time Meditations. You can check that out on our website. It just launched. But you may also be interested in our premium coaching experience. It's called Launch Your Life, a workable plan to make lasting changes in 60 days. We have a beta group of 35 students that are just wrapping up this course in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to be taking all their feedback and making the course even better. So if you're stuck, overwhelmed, or lacking clear direction in life, and you're looking to take your life to the next level and rediscover yourself, change your mindset, reach tangible goals, all those things, you know you need some sort of workable plan and you need an experienced coach to help guide you every step of the way. And that's what the Launch Your Life coaching experience is all about. Our goal is to have 100 students for our fall 2019 session. So if you want more information and to be put on the wait list, go to insporising.com forward slash launch, insporising.com com forward slash launch. Well, today I want to introduce you to someone very special. You may have seen her on television. Her name is Terry Cole. She's a licensed psychotherapist and global leading expert in mindfulness, meditation, relationships, and well-being. And for over two decades, Terry's worked with some of the world's most well-known personalities from international pop stars to Fortune 500 CEOs, and she empowers over 100,000 women every week through her platform, online community, her online courses, her popular podcast. It's called The Terry Cole Show. You should definitely check it out. But you might have also seen her on television as an expert therapist and master life coach on A&E's Monster In-Laws, TEDx, The Lisa Oz Show, and Real Housewives. This conversation was so packed with amazing content to help you 
bring back that passion in your relationship. We wanted to break it into kind of two bite-sized pieces, two different episodes, because it was a bit long. There was so much great content. We didn't want to cut any of it. So in the first half of the interview, in this episode, you're going to learn the reasons why we have so much sex so often in the beginning of a relationship. And then we're also going to learn the challenges that often come up and cause the frequency of sex to decline. Terry has so many great insights on this. You're definitely going to want to listen and probably even have your partner listen as well. In the second half of the interview, in the next episode, she will break down eight practical steps that help bring back the passion into your relationship. They're super practical steps. So you'll definitely want to listen to this episode first to get the foundation or framework for the conversation, and then the next episode in order to get those practical steps. So let's jump into my conversation with Terry Cole. Well, Terry, thanks so much for hanging with me today. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I have been really interested in some work that you've done recently talking about bringing the passion back in relationships. And so one of the things that I was curious about is why why do we want to have sex so much in the beginning of a relationship versus maybe as the relationship, you know, kind of goes on over the years? Well, that is a very interesting question, and there's lots of different ways to answer it. So we have like the biological drive, right? So so that's one part of it is that we are connecting with someone who unconsciously, subconsciously, primally, we're like, this could be could help me create more of this species, right? This is what we want to do. We want to basically procreate. I mean, this is part of primal drive, but it's more than that. Because if you look at the science, what's happening to our bodies when we feel attracted to someone, when we're falling in love, the same um, chemicals and hormones that get us addicted to things are being released during this this phase. So we could actually become, we're physically um, dopamine, oxytocin, all these things that feel so good. And so we want more of that. If you look at it from a psychological point of view, someone like Harville Hendricks, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Sure. He's, oh my God, I had him on my show. I was like dying. He's just so, his work is just so brilliant. And he and his wife, Helen, oh, without a doubt. And they were actually both surprised at how much I was fangirling. They were like, who is this chick? And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) But anyway, his whole theory, which I definitely have seen in 22 years of being a psychotherapist to be true, is that we basically are childhood wounds. We attract someone who will in some way mirror them. So from his point of view, it's giving us um, the possibility, the potential to work it out. The way that I see it and the work that I've done is more like it's that end when you are attracted to someone who you've had a similar experience, even if it's something that isn't good. So let's say you had a very authoritarian father that, and you didn't like that experience. You may find yourself drawn to, um, if you're heterosexual female, you may find yourself drawn to men who are authoritarian because in your unconscious mind, there's a recognition like, oh, that person is appropriate partner material, even if you didn't like it. So I think that there's a whole bunch of things going on, but we're also in that bonding phase. What do we call it? We call it the honeymoon phase of a relationship because our attraction to that person and being with them, I mean, your body changes, your literally your pupils dilate, like there are all of these things that happen. 
becomes more important than anything else, right? This is, we just want to be with that person in the same way when you, a substance that you might be addicted to gets removed, when that person, right, if they go travel or you have to travel and you're away from them, that same sense of withdrawal you have in the beginning. And then when you're together with someone over time, real life sets in, right? We still have to pick up groceries and make food. We still need to pay the taxes. We still should go vote. All these things that when you're madly in love, you're just like, hey, let's have sex in a limo and in the bathroom and anywhere and outside. And it's a way of bonding because you haven't yet created a life with that person. And part of the the having so much sex is that we're wanting to do that. The challenges then to the frequency you alluded to that is this kind of real life. How how does the kind of real life get in the way of that or how does it decline over time? Well, there's lots of very obvious ways, right? So we have like life cycle events. So having children. A lot of times if you have a difficult pregnancy, you're not having sex towards the end of it. Sometimes you are, but a lot of times you're not. And then you're not supposed to have sex for six weeks afterwards. And now you have a new human and suddenly sleep. And no sleep. <laughs> yeah. Sleep becomes way more sexy than sex when you're in that situation. Um, also, if someone is not well, so illness can get in the way. Um, menopause is, is really, is, that shit is real. I hate to say it. I mean, I, had my own experiences that I've written. And I swear I'm going to actually write a book called Menno Marathon because there is literally no pause. I feel like that <laughs> shit has gone on for like 10 years. But there, there are physical things that happen when you're menopause, right? So now you have um, less estrogen. And you know there are things that I'd read about that would happen during menopause. Oh, you might have hot flashes, which actually personally I did not really have. But what people don't tell you is that sex can become incredibly painful even after having a two decades of a very healthy, robust, fun, interesting sex life, suddenly if sex becomes painful, it, now there's this whole conflict that you're in. You still want to have sex with the person, but you don't want to be in pain. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are certainly things that you can do and there's hormone replacement, but those are just kind of an array of um, life cycle things. And then what I find in my practice is that unresolved resentments, couples who don't have great communication when things are rough. Like there are, there are different like archetypes of couples and there are some that are very avoidant. They never learned how to have a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. Any, anytime they have to have a hard conversation, it seems so overwhelming that they're almost like the most polite couple you've ever met, <laughs> but that keeps things on the surface, right? Because if we're really in a relationship, there are going to be things that need to be talked about. You have to make a simple request that something changes. Like there, there are things that, I mean, someone could just also get on your nerves. This is spending lots of time together. Th- these are normal sort of ups and downs. But I think that back to sort of the psychological aspect of people not having a lot of sex in long-term relationships, I really find that um, unresolved, unspoken, unfigured out resentment hmm. is one that c- it really can kill the libido. So, mm-hmm. so that's one thing to really, to really look at and also in looking at your parents. So you have some people who were raised by parents that once the mom became a mom, 
that was like her primary function in life. And you never really viewed her as a woman again, sort of. And she didn't view herself. Hmm. These downloaded blueprints, as I call them, we have them in all areas of life. And sexuality is one of those areas. And so with my clients, I do what's called the downloaded sex and sensuality blueprint, where you're really looking at like, do I feel like it's appropriate to be a 55-year-old woman and to be sexual, to be sensual, to what does that look like? If you came from a very sort of a, um, a straight-laced family or a very religious family, the answer might be no. That like that ship has sailed. It's now it's about other things, right? So there, there's many things that, that can get into the mix of why we stop having regular sex. Mm-hmm. I know one of the questions that I hear uh, being brought up, whether it's on podcasts or even you see it in magazines, is how often is enough? You know, I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if the word enough, but you know, how often are other people doing it? I guess it would be the question. Do you hear that yeah. from your clients? Oh, I do. And there's actually science. I mean, I mean, it's, I, we don't even have to guess. So we kind of know what is going on, which is that in healthy relationships, having sex approximately once a week is really good for the relationship. And then they compared it to people who had sex less than once a month. And this was a weird way to, to put it, but this was how they put it, that the difference in happiness, um, satisfaction, fulfillment in those people who, who the couples who were having sex once a week, they likened it to money, saying that uh, someone who makes $25,000 a year and someone who makes $75,000 a year, let's say, that it was more important, the, the increase in that person's happiness was the, the sex once a week would create more satisfaction than making 75000 for making 25000 Wow. So I thought it was like this weird comparison, but I got it. Yeah. I got it. And when we look at, so, so anyway, so that answered the question, right? So we're saying approximately once a week would be great. I actually knew someone once who has been married for, I guess they're married now, I mean, probably 50 years. And <laughs> the conversation at the time was weird because it was kind of like an uncle by marriage weirdness. But anyway, what he said made so much sense. He said that he and his wife, that they institutionalized sex by having sex every week when they came home from church, even when their kids were small. They would be like, this is mommy and daddy's private time, basically. And he said, you know, Terry, our friends then all sort of made fun of us and thought like, how not romantic are you that you're doing that? And he said, but guess what? 50 years later, guess who are the only people still having sex? And we're in our 70s, almost 80. And that is us. And we still have sex once a week. So when the thing that has to shift psychologically is that when we're in the beginning of a relationship, we are drawn, right? We are compelled physically to be sexual, to, to become one with that other person. As you create an actual life, you might create human beings, you might you know, have children together, whatever it is that you're doing. There has to be a conscious, right? So an intentional decision jointly that this will be an important part of keeping the relationship good. So I say to clients, sometimes you have sex even when you don't want to. And I don't mean under duress and I don't mean someone else forcing you. I say the same way that when you're in a long-term relationship, every decision that I make, 
I've been married for 20 years together, 22 years with my husband. Every decision I'm about to make, I think, how will this impact Vic? How will this impact us? I'll talk to him. I don't make any major decisions. And it's not like he's the boss of me because he's definitely not. And I'm not the boss of him. But my my priority is the health of my marriage above pretty much everything else. You know, and I think that I don't know that every person has to feel the way that I do. But I do know that we must intentionally prioritize what's important and keeping um, your physical life vibrant because it's not just sex. When we're talking about having sex once a week, there was another study done about is it that more affection creates more sex or that more sex creates more affection? Mm -hmm. And they couldn't really come to terms with what came first, the chicken or the egg, but what they did determine was that more of one creates more of the other. And so when I'm talking about being sexual, I'm not only talking about sex, like actually penetration sex, right? It's about intimate time together. It is about affection. It's about flirting, right? It's about remembering that your person is still a person. And if you see them and they look good to you standing in the kitchen, making that salad, you can say, nice butt. Like those things that you would say in the beginning Mm -hmm. or that you couldn't even stop yourself from saying, it's very easy to become so habituated in a relationship and habituated sexually, where it's like, you do this, I do that, then we're done, eh, which that's definitely better than not doing it. Mm -hmm. But there are certainly plenty of ways to make it more interesting than that. How would you suggest that a couple have this conversation? You know, it seems like a bit of an awkward conversation to have. Um, How would you suggest that one of the individuals bring it up about like, hey, we're not having as much sex anymore. or Hey, we're, you know, I wish we had more sex. You know what I mean? Like, how how would you suggest that happen? I definitely wouldn't do it like that. Um, (laughs) Because here's the thing. We always want to have the conversation when so much of the time from a therapeutic point of view, what needs to happen is a different action. So what I would say to my clients is just get empowered. So instead of, you don't need your partner's permission to be more sexual. You don't need to make it a complaint unless you're also going to suggest some really juicy solution or idea. So my thought is, if you have, if it's been a long time, you know, if you've, I'm, I've had clients who haven't had sex with their partners in four years, and then you can come back from that, you can come back from anything. So part of it is start to normalize affection again. Mm. Don't put the pressure on the relationship. Make it be like, well, we need to have sex every Wednesday. Ah. You know, I mean, maybe that Sunday thing worked for that person, but you're talking about a specific situation that either sensuality, sexuality, Resentment is built, whatever it is. But if you're in the relationship, instead of wanting to blame your partner and be like, well, if they would only, uh, whatever, you think that if they would only do that, everything would be okay. Every time you think that, I'm going to ask you to look inside and say, what action could I take right now that might be helpful? Could I send a flirty text? Text. Could I um, put a little sexy note in, and, and with a little lip print on it, maybe in, in the briefcase or in the pocket of what you know they're going to be in. Um, could I say, oh, you know, remember that time when we were away 
and, and we had that amazing night in that hotel. I was thinking about that. I wonder if we could recreate that in our own boring bedroom. I think we could. Like, there are ways to talk about it that don't make it be like, da 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 da. We right, need right. to talk because nobody wants to talk whenever you're like, I need to talk, you know? Sure. So it's about being brave because we must risk being vulnerable if we're going to increase the vulnerability in the relationship, which is what increasing sex really is, right? We're becoming more vulnerable physically. But let's say it's been a really long time and maybe there's performance issues. Maybe someone is having an erectile dysfunction moment or the wife is going through menopause and it's painful. It's really not about genital sex or sex with penetration. There are so many other things that you could do, like uh, let's play a game and the loser has to give the winner a massage tonight. What if, you know, what, what they do with uh, um, couples a lot of times that go for sex therapy is you basically take sex off the table altogether. Like we cannot have sex. So immediately that there's this relief of like, what is the expectation? What is the performance? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. And then what if you turned your attention to something that you could do, even if it was something short, maybe it's not a full body massage. Maybe it's like, let's just give each other quick hand massages before bed tonight. What if I rubbed your feet? What if you rubbed my feet? What if I gave you a neck rub quick? What we're talking about is reconnecting in a sensual way that reminds you there, there was a time in your life with this person. For those of you where you feel like you, it's been too long and like the ship has sailed, there was a time in your life when you felt pretty hot about this person, like you, mm-hmm. you had desire for them. And so if you want the relationship to continue to sort of grow in that way, You've got to be willing to, and if you're the one who makes the first move, then it means you've got to be a little bit willing to be vulnerable, right? Because the person may reject you. Hence, why I say don't make it like a straight up sexual proposition in the beginning. Right, right. You don't have to say anything. You could just start touching your partner more. Mm -hmm. You could just consciously sit closer to them on the couch or snuggle up with them, even if you haven't done that in a long time. And before you know it, this will become normalized mm-hmm. the same way that being super, super separate has become normalized. You can normalize the closeness again, but for a lot of people, I find that the resentment stuff. So I'd love those who are listening. If this is resonating with you, I really would love you to do some kind of a resentment inventory and really think about what are the negative things that you say about your partner a lot in your head? What are the things that drive you crazy about them? Um, are there things that you've done that you haven't told them really hurt your feelings or made you feel bad? Do you Did they betray you? Or are you coming on the other side of some kind of a big betrayal that really hasn't been handled? Those are all things that really can keep you stuck in that wanting to be away from them mode rather than wanting to be close to them. And no strategy that I'm going to give you right now, nothing that David and I talk about in this um, episode can replace the work of figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody has those resentments, how, how do they process through those? Because that can be, you know, they could even be years in the making. How mm-hmm. do they unpack those? Well, part of it is we always have to look at our side of the street, right? Every relationship that you're in, whether it's your marriage or another relationship or friendship, you are exactly 50% of that relationship. 
who are exactly responsible for 50% of whatever has gone down in that relationship. Even if the other person did something that you consider terrible, your 50% is staying or in not talking about it or in not insisting on going to therapy or in just being mean to them for two years, like as payment. Hmm. Like we all have to take responsibility for our side of the street and look honestly that it requires giving up the victim position. Even if the person wronged you, most infidelity, it's a symptom of something else going wrong in the marriage, unless someone is a sex addict or they're like a habitual offender, then okay. Most of the time what I find, and a friend of mine, Esther Perel, writes quite a bit about this. She's got a book out called um, State of Union, and she has a book out called Mating in Captivity. Her work is just so brilliant. If you don't know her, um, people call her Esther, but it's actually pronounced Esther Perel. Anywho, and she has a great um, TEDx talk also, because think about the juxtaposition that we're put in when we get married, right? What are we seeking to build a life with someone's stability, right? Dependability, um, someone who's consistent. And what, what is erotic to humans? What feels erotic? The unknown, mm-hmm. mystery, anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we figure those things out, right? Mm-hmm. So it really does require effort mm-hmm. to do so. Mm-hmm. So back to your question, people who are feeling resentment or feel like they've been wronged or feel like um, they don't want to be close to their partner because they did this terrible thing. I'd ask you to journal about your side of the street in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, because it's very easy to be in denial of all the symptoms along the way that the marriage or the relationship needed attention and if you don't know how to give it the attention meaning you didn't know how to have the hard conversation maybe you lost yourself in netflix or in drinking or in you know something Mm -hmm. to numb your own feelings while your partner wasn't where they said they were going to be and there's a part of you i mean usually when people come in and they say you know my my husband or my wife cheated on me a lot of times if i say did you have an inkling they're like yeah i kind of did you're like okay well you know we're complicit in the situations that we find ourselves in, Mm. but I would, I would do an inventory. Like I'm resentful that because many of those things are things that you just haven't asked for. You, you haven't made a simple request that the person do it differently. And they could, you would be shocked at how much of the time it is small things Mm. that make us so resentful. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first half of my conversation with Terry Cole. You definitely want to subscribe to the Inspiration Rising podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so that you don't miss the second half of the conversation, which is all about eight steps to bring back the passion in your life, in your love, in your relationship. She unpacks it in a beautiful way. So if this episode was inspiring to you or intriguing, maybe you want to share it with a friend. You can just take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then text it right to them uh, or just tell them about Inspiration Rising and where you heard about it. You can also learn about Terry at terrycole.com. That's T-E-R-R-I-C-O-L-E.com. And you can find all of her social media links in the show notes on your phone or at insporising.com. This week, whether you have a partner or not, may you know that you are loved and worthy of love. You are cherished by the divine. You're cherished by your family and your friends, even when they don't know how to show it perfectly. 
And I cherish you as a listener and a member of the Inspiration Rising community. And by the way, if you listen regularly, send me an email. Tell me what episodes inspired you and how it impacted your life. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at david at insporising.com, I-N-S-P-O, rising.com. All right, we'll talk to you next time.